I knew you when you, how old were you when you first moved up to Gainesville into the house we, we shared with all, um, all the rest? I was like 19. Okay. 20. I feel like around that time you were clean shaven mm-hmm. and you looked a lot like young Neil. <laughs> young Neil. Movie. Oh, I thought young you were going to say Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> nope. No, you do not look like Michael Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you looked like young Neil. Now, not at every angle, but like when young Neil first showed up on camera, I was like, holy <laughs> shit, it's like back in time for James. That's awesome. I feel like you didn't even know me for that long with longer hair, too. That's awesome that you remember that. <laughs> yeah, that hairstyle, too, right? You had something kind yeah, of similar going similar, on? similar, yeah. Kind of longer, but yeah, that kind of like swooshed over look. <laughs> anyway, to point that out. That's hilarious. I told, I told, I told my wife, Annalisa, about it, and she, she was like, what are you talking about? So I, I don't know if anybody else will agree with me or not. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I like that. Welcome to episode 173 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Edgar Wright's 2010 film, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I'm so excited to cover Edgar Wright. We're finally here. We're finally here. Honestly, this is one of those filmmakers like I look at so many that don't necessarily usually do adaptations. Yeah. And I'm always like, oh man, I'd love to talk about these filmmakers because they, you know, help shape me. Has he done any other adaptations? I don't think so, right? Um, he almost did Ant-Man, which I'm sure is a whole thing. He, yeah, I don't think anything else, but he, um, you know, the Running Man coming up is a Stephen King adaptation. So yeah, you're we're right. Yeah, definitely we just going to cover that. We just talked about that. Yeah, I would love to cover that. Yeah. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. So this filmmaker, just to like jump into it really quickly, is one that I point to. I, I he's he's a person that I respect enormously i would like to emulate a a similar career um the the style the way that he approaches the things that he loves and genre specifically everything he does i'm infatuated with he puts out playlists every year that i'm always like learning new music from like literally just like his taste in music his taste in everything i'm just such a big fan of so I'm just a big, nice. massive fan here. So, like, so you're to- you're not you're not biased at all. I'm not episode. biased at all. <laughs> but yeah, like a m- movie like Shaun of the Dead. When Shaun of the Dead hit, it yeah. immediately jumped up the list of my favorite movies of all time. And it and like it still very very much is. He is someone who I've pointed to multiple times in my life as like this is my favorite filmmaker. Now, like I've said before, this isn't necessarily my favorite film of his, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate it and I love it a lot because it is an yeah. Edgar Wright film and the way that he handles the craft and pushes forward pushes forward the medium is just like he's one of those people that i'll watch anything he makes and tarantino and he had like a three-hour conversation on the empire podcast recently basically just about like lesser known films and and i should check that out some other stuff like that and i listened to all of it and it felt like it went by in like 15 minutes and i wanted more um Hmm. enormous respect for the guy so 
I'm excited to jump into this. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I want to know your thoughts right off the bat. We just got done reading the comics and then went into the film. What did you think? I talked about in the last episode how I really went through a journey with the comics. I started out like kind of disliking them. To At the very least, I was very, you know, uh, lukewarm towards them. Um, and then over time, they grew on me. And I, I really thought by the end, it ended on a fairly special note. And the last, I think, two issues uh, in particular were very good. I had some in- some interesting kind of similar experiences watching this movie. Really, really, like, h- hot and cold. Like, things that I just loved. Like, I was having so much fun with. And then things that left me so cold. And, and um, it's interesting because, like, sometimes it was changes. But sometimes it was um, taking something from the comic and making it like real and having a real person do it on screen made it worse for me in some ways um some of the like problematic elements get get they just get worse like seeing real people do them in a way um and and i don't know there's just certain things so like i I, we're it's gonna be a weird movie for me to talk about because of how strongly i feel like this is a has greatness in it and then also has stuff that just really doesn't hold up and and beyond that just isn't very good too um and and it's it's gonna be like a really mixed bag review for me but uh i'm excited to talk about it because i I definitely had a blast watching it because everything you were talking about like the filmmaker behind it the decisions the editing the it's just so smart so clever so fast um everything about it is like crafted such detail um, that I, I, you have to appreciate that. Um, it's just like some of the stuff with the story itself, I struggle with. Yeah. I think even if this isn't a story that you click in with, like you do understand the level of filmmaking that's happening here. Yeah. And I think upon repeat view, viewings and stuff, I've seen more and more of that. And the amount of planning that goes into this, I mean, you, he's known for his transitions. And to make that Unreal. seamless, to make that seamless, you have to know well beforehand exactly how those things are going to cut together in the edit and to be able to pull them off basically every scene is a transition in some interesting creative way that mm-hmm. you can't, you won't see coming and just those those are small things that all build on each other like the transitions the ways that he does everything like he does a lot of effects practically in camera there will be um i mean a lot of the stunt choreography and stuff like you can tell this one was his sort of like fighting yeah. combat there movie. was like, a lot of stunt work in this movie that I, that I did not remember just how much stunt work yeah and it's impressive like like i think people become desensitized to fight scenes in movies after mm-hmm. a while and there's a lot of like the we talked about it endlessly on the podcast but there's a lot of fight scenes that are just like quick cuts and punch punch here and you don't you don't really see the the details of what hap- what's happening and there's a there's a little bit of that in this movie to keep it sort of moving along but there are also fight scenes and choreography that you see in here that are absolutely insane that are oh, like yeah. long and you can see the moves yeah exactly. you know you know for sure and I, I talking about his his transitions just made me think about how much like Tarantino and I'm sure other filmmakers um it seems like he takes every opportunity to do something um, interesting and unexpected. Um, and he finds them in moments that other filmmakers try and like um, not draw attention. It's, it's very much like, I don't want you to realize you're watching a movie. I'm going to like make this natural and almost invisible. Whereas 
the other side of that is no, 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 I'm going to do something incredibly stylish. I'm going to do something that draws attention to itself. And I'm sure there's a bit of both, but like a lot of time, these transitions are, are notable because they draw attention to themselves so much. Yeah. And I think that speaks to movies, right? Movies themselves like are larger than life in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And like to lean into that, I think is to embrace and celebrate what movies are is like they are in every way. You're literally watching someone who's 10 times the size of you on a screen in a movie theater sometimes and the drama that goes into it sometimes. And obviously the other thing we haven't mentioned is that he's a lot of his films are specifically comedic and like satirical and like they are they're they're funny but they're also like taking a genre or taking a certain aspect of certain genres and saying like look how much we love these and that's that i i don't want to call it like parody and i don't want to call it like a send-up because it's not it's not poking fun at it it's like doing it lovingly it's like a love letter to these different genres you're talking um, about uh, like like hot fuzz to action movies and right Shaun or like Shaun of the dead, dead to zombie are you yeah. saying that this movie is doing that too in a way yeah almost with like, like your video game movies your your that that whole culture in general like the way that like this is a video game it's he wanted to create mm-hmm. a film that was a video game so a lot of the st- like the way over the top even well, when it's, it's also CG. that like young adult romance yeah. uh you know very male focused but and, and, and obviously wish fulfillment all that stuff is going on yeah. um but yeah i mean it could be kind of seen as a send-up of that i guess too but you have to you know you have to point back at the comic and say that really uh, so much of the dna of this movie comes directly from the comic and and i think he was drawn to that because of it right like he read it and he's like this is something that speaks to me and something that i can Mm -hmm. uh, that i that's in my wheelhouse that i think i can definitely you know do something with yeah and and for the most part even though there are some significant changes the attention to detail in in being faithful to the comic really astounded me too like how often i recognized exact panels and exact scenes from the comic where every character was positioned in exactly the same way and the set design was done in exactly the same way and even the little black box might pop up in the exact same spot that it was in in the comic like there was so much of that that um it was incredible and it really showed a respect for the source material uh that that i thought was pretty notable and to go back to something that you said the 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 way that he finds a movie is supposed to be interesting, right? It's not supposed to be typically. It's not supposed depending on what you're trying to do. A movie like he's trying to make isn't supposed to be a lockdown camera situation where we're just watching things play out yeah. as if we're watching theater. If you're watching like a really serious drama where it's all about immersion, then yeah, these like really fun transitions might not be appropriate. Uh, in fact, they might distract from the drama of the moment, right? Moments to find reasons to move the camera, moments to find reasons to have a matching scene transition, moments, you, you know, I, I find those to be so interesting. And and that's the, the planning, like I've said before, that goes into his films and the way that he goes in with such a singular vision that like he knows what the actor needs to do in terms of like how they need to be standing and moving throughout the scene. He knows the like what they need to say. And, and I was reading that like people have talked about there's not a lot of improv on his sets because it is so meticulously plotted and, and set out to the point that like in order to make that scene tra- transition work or in order to make that sight gag or sound gag, which he loves, by the way, mm-hmm. sight like things happening, um, entering frame, things like sound effects, um, things that he can do practically in camera. I noticed a lot of times there would be like lighting shifts where it would just be like you could tell that like it was they were in in some sort of set and then like there's this transition where the the band was all together and, and then the lights all go down 
And you could tell that it's like all the lights that were lighting the scene, just they turn them off practically. And like, mm-hmm. it, that's the coolest way to like transition into another scene. Like, that's what movies are about. It's a he's finding these moments to do something creative, do something different. Like, how can I take this transition and make it something that's either something people haven't seen before or at least something interesting? Right. And yeah, he, re- he really find. I mean, and there's there's lessons to be learned, I think, for any sort of, you know, artistic endeavor, you know. As a writer, I'm thinking about like what can I do, what could I do to to find things like that in in writing. You know, I, I think of people like Kurt Vonnegut, or there are certain writers out there who get really playful um, with their prose and with you know their way that they might you know break out of conventions. And it's a difficult thing to do well, but those who do it really well, it can be really fun. Yeah, and and that's the that's the notable thing, right? It's like level of difficulty is like some people might miss it, but the people mm-hmm. who understand what's going on, they understand this isn't this it, the level of difficulty is high because if it's slightly off, it doesn't work. And it's yeah. like then then you were better off basically just sticking to the norm at that point. But in yeah. some way, he's able to thread the needle so many times throughout this movie that you're just like, oh my god, like it, it and it, and it all you know, coalesces to become a style, right? Like mm-hmm. this is Edgar Wright's style. He's he's found yeah. ways to, in, in similar ways to someone like Wes Anderson, yeah. the way that you'll think about like, he's going to have those shots that are extremely symmetrical. He's going to have the dollhouse scenes where like, we're going room to room and it's all very like mm-hmm. structured and, and like they, they, they've created styles for themselves that are like completely you know right away what whose film you're watching and mm-hmm. again i don't think that's an easy thing to do especially like in today's day and age um and edgar wright is a he's a he's an encyclopedia of film uh mm. and i think that's another notable thing that i love to see in certain filmmakers is like the way that the the students of film are the ones who can i think continue the art form and continue to change things um and create new styles and everything like that but um this movie uh overall i really really enjoy it you know i think there are problems like you mentioned as well um especially like things that were norms for the time that we talked about with dialogue and things like that in the comic that trend that then you know are directly quoted in in this movie tend to feel a little more abrasive when (laughs) when we're hearing people say it and you know I don't know. It's 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 tough to to be like, oh no no, it was just of a time because it's like it so wasn't ten years ago. It wasn't that long ago. Right? It wasn't that long ago, and it just seems yeah. some of it just but seems it, like it, it was, but it wasn't. You know, like there's a lot that has happened in ten years, but you you know, yeah, it's not like it's of a completely different era, right? So yeah, some of it some of it's like you can't really forgive it, and you just yeah. look at it and you're like, well, this is this is part of this movie at this point. Well, and um. I don't know. I have a lot to say more about this. So I guess I'm going to hold it um, okay. for later. But I do also want to say that I do have some criticisms for more like Edgar Wright direction stuff that happens at the end. That's it's not just that. So I'll be interested to talk to you about it when we get there. But I don't want to. I don't want to get into it now because I know I'll delay us talking about his like biography and stuff. So let's focus on that. Yeah, let's move into Edgar Wright as a filmmaker and talk about him in general because we have been already. (laughs) Edgar Wright is an English film director, screenwriter, and producer. He is known for his fast-paced and kinetic satirical genre films, which feature extensive utilization of expressive popular music, steadicam tracking shots, dolly zooms, and a signature editing style that includes transitions, whip pans, and wipes. He began making independent short films before making his first feature film, A Fistful of Fingers, in 1995. 
Wright created and directed the comedy series Asylum in 1996, written with David Williams. After directing several other television shows, Wright directed the sitcom Space, 1999 to 2001, which aired for two series and starred frequent collaborators Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Now, if you haven't seen Space, I highly recommend it. I'm actually surprised Simon Pegg wasn't in this movie somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. He's in He's in a lot of them, but... yeah. Uh, they, it's cool. The ones that they have collaborated on as well, he, he tends to be a writing partner with Edgar. And that's something else that Mm -hmm. I learned is that he really favors having writing comedies with partners, writing partners and stuff, because writing comedy in a vacuum to him, I think feels very like it's tough. It's already a tough thing to do, but to do it by yourself. Yeah. I don't know how people do it, honestly. Uh, yeah. Writing comedy is really tough. Uh, you know, some people just have a knack for it. Some people don't. And uh, I can totally understand wanting to have someone to bounce ideas off of and, and, and like figure out what's actually going to be funny, because I don't know about you, but if I try and write something funny after I've read it about five times, it doesn't matter how fucking funny it might have been at the beginning. It's yeah. no longer funny. And it's really hard to like maintain that belief, like, no, this will be funny when it totally when it comes out. And, and speaking from experience, like, you know, I've directed a film in school, right? So wrote wrote things in a script with people that I thought was hilarious and then as we you know as we get closer they feel a little less funny but I'm like still got to roll with it got to trust the gut and then you get there on the day and you're like these are just inside jokes that aren't funny to anybody but us and you know you shoot it and then like people see it and they're like that was that was awkward I didn't really understand that and it's it's very very tough thing to do and like it's tough you know, to know what's going to land with your audience right it really yeah. is like to to know what's funny really to to be like that is funny and I think mm-hmm. that's something else about Edgar is like there is funny and then there's like clever. And I think he 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 plays a lot with both, right? Like some of the jokes might not necessarily be of your taste, but they're ten- typically really clever. And I think that like there's an appreciation that you can have for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's one of the things that this comic lends itself because the comic is incredibly clever and incredibly funny. Yeah. Uh, and and so much of that he just like lifts from the comic and, and finds a way to and you know to his credit finds a way to put it on screen in a very faithful way that we just you just don't see in many comic book movies. I've seen some people call this one of the greatest comic book movies ever made, and I think it's for that reason. Like his ability to take stuff right off the page and put it on screen is is really un, almost unparalleled. I, I know we've seen a lot of comic book movies, so I don't want to speak too broadly, but. You know, this is this was early on in when before the craze really took off. Yeah, and I think in terms of adapting something, like understanding the essence of the story, understanding like what the what the impetus of the story is, like why tell this story and like the reasons why people like us respond to these these movies and these elements and these references that they're making and all this stuff is like he he has that and going in i think that's important because you mm. you've seen superhero movies where people clearly thought that it was just about somebody punching somebody and yeah it's not the case do you have some like background on the making of this movie because i'm always curious like how much brian Lee O'Malley might have been involved or was this purely just yeah you know edgar wright's vision i don't know specifically how much he was involved but i do know that he was involved and some of the we saw some drawings in the in the film like you could see some yeah. animation stuff that shows up and brian Lee O'Malley was involved uh with some of that but then i guess they also brought in other animators to to sort of help as well yeah it, it the art the art is, looked like it was lifted right out of the comics yeah and brian lee o'malley has said the people that he, they brought on he approves he thought that they really captured his style and did a great job with it Interesting. Um, where it wasn't him 
I have a bunch of stuff if you want to know sort of some of the behind the scenes stuff, but I think a lot of it goes towards like specific scenes. So I do want to say one thing. Edgar Wright uh, obtained permission to use the famous theme music from the SNES game, The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, by writing a letter to Nintendo saying that it is considered to be the nursery rhyme of this generation. Several sound effects from the game can also be heard throughout the scenes in Scott's band practice room. Is that what is playing at the opening, like the very opening of the film? I think so, but I can't remember. There's the scene where he goes into he goes into like his old high school, and that specifically is when that's playing. He like oh, he okay. like goes through a doorway, and then Ramona's in there. She's like skating or something, I think. And that's like th- that specific. It's like do you remember that part? Like, do you remember the song? Okay, I think so. Yeah, there must be a different because there was like an eight bit music. Uh, style music playing at the very opening when it was like still doing the like logos for the movie. oh that was the universal that's the universal music okay they just made it 8-bit exactly yeah okay because it sounded really cool and i was like man i love like a really stylized you know intro and like i think it, uh, even the 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 logo was all pixelated yeah which was really cool yeah that was a decision yeah. that, that edgar wright made and i did read that like his brother helped work on that that specific sequence to, like wow make it 8-bit and stuff so that's kind of cool that he was able to bring him in as well that's neat. I found out that the first draft of this script for the film was completed after only two of Brian Lee O'Malley's six Scott Pilgrim books were drawn. Wow. Okay. I was yeah. That was one of the things I wanted to find out about because I know that the the final issue came out what around the same time. Did you say this movie was two thousand ten or eleven? Yeah, two thousand ten. Yeah. So that's the same year the final yeah. issue came out. So clearly, so, yeah. Brian Lee O'Malley was heavily involved with being like, right. this is how and, I'm going to end this. And that must. That's probably why the ending we can talk about later there, you know, there's two different versions of the ending and, and the ending is where it kind of differs the most uh, from the comics. And it probably is reflective of the fact that they didn't, he didn't have like a finished final comic to really go off of, even though um, I have heard that, that um, they were in conversation about it, but it wasn't done yet. Yeah. And this, you know, we talked about how this comic was sort of this idea of people starting to create things that were also referencing all this culture that we loved um, and I think like this movie, it came out in like 2010 and I don't think it gets necessarily enough credit for, I think it's a little underrated is what I mean to mm-hmm. say. I think like people, well, it didn't do well, right? It didn't do yeah. well in theaters and then it's become kind of a cult classic since then. I feel like it's had a resurgence, uh, of sorts. Um, but yeah, I can see where, why you might say that. Um, but some of the stuff where I'm, you know, we're going to talk about later is I think holding it back though. I agree. It's got yeah. very dated views on masculinity and on dating in general, sexuality, uh, sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think some of that holds it back. Like it's not going to be as embraced as it otherwise would be. And again, I, I do think that like, I just remember what it was like for me in that time period. And I do think it rings pretty true. And I'm not trying to excuse anything that Edgar or Brian Lee O'Malley was doing with the story because it, you know, it doesn't hold up today. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, and some, it just really doesn't. It was, I don't know. It was like that at the time. In in my experience, like I I Mm -hmm. saw a lot of this like misogyny and like toxic masculinity and like sexuality, like shaming. It's like a different form of, of, toxic masculinity too though because it's not like what people typically associate with that but when i say that i mean that um the sexuality is presented as sort of transactional throughout the movie by the the basis of the film is that he has to fight these guys to like win ramona 
reducing her to as a into a prize and that that problem is even worse in the film than i would say in the comics um and not only that but like even sex with ramona and others becomes sort of transactional it's like he he does things to like earn it from from women and it's like a a, a sort of you know currency that they have that they can like give out or withhold um, and that is just really, you know, I think a lot of people have noticed that this is a very toxic thing in our culture yeah. that has led to a lot of problems. Definitely. And and this movie is kind of all about it. So, you know, you kind of have to be, you have to get over that to enjoy it. Um, I will say just briefly, I watched with my wife and she immediately was turned off by this movie by scott pilgrim in general which like yeah. he's he's terrible in this movie as a person <laughs> um and and it really never came back around on it in the way that i thought she might it just she just really didn't so you know that could definitely be people's experience too yeah i mean and i get that yeah we'll talk about the ending when we get there but i do think yeah. that, like there's some some of it wasn't really the payoff that i think a lot of people were hoping for and i don't know if it's the I don't know if it's the movie or if it's the comic or what it what ultimately it entails, but it's almost like all these people went through so many things and so much. And then very quickly, things start to turn to the better. And you're like, do we really believe that these characters are going to be better people for the rest of their mm. lives? It and- is very abrupt. It is a very abrupt. Um, but yeah, we got to save some of that. Um, but actually, before you get into anything else, though, we almost forgot. Shout out to Stephen E. who commissioned this. Um, he is actually one of the last commissions we're ever going to do because we have closed our jukebox hero tier and we've replaced it with different tiers um and now we're moving away from like a single commission to um more communal um so we're 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 finishing up this and then we're moving into our communal commission next week um our our voting on our our first ever poll on patreon just completed and we're going to be doing gone girl by gillian flynn you know, obviously the film the, the week following. So look forward to that and check out our Patreon if you want to vote on future polls. It's not to say we won't ever do a commission again. If you want to throw like a few Bitcoin our way, we might think about it. <laughs> yeah, I you're right. You I want. mean, we, we have we have a price, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to, to, like I said before, I'm excited for everyone to vote together. And I think it'll be, it'll, it'll lead to some interesting projects. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. So let's get into the plot of this movie. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. In Toronto, 22-year-old Scott Pilgrim is a basis for his unsuccessful indie garage band Sex Babam. He is dating Knives Chow, a 17-year-old high school student, to the disapproval of his friends in the band, his roommate Wallace Wells, and his younger sister Stacy Pilgrim. Scott meets an American Amazon.ca delivery girl, Ramona Flowers, after having seen her in a dream. He loses interest in Knives, but does not break up with her before pursuing Ramona. When Sex Babam plays in a battle of the band sponsored by record executive Gideon Graves, Scott is attacked by Ramona's ex-boyfriend, Matthew Patel. Scott defeats Patel and learns that in order to date Ramona, he must defeat her remaining six evil exes. I want to focus on just a weird little part that I that I found hilarious. Um, we'll see if you agree with me. I have a feeling you won't, but... Uh... <laughs> I knew you when you, how old were you when you first moved up to Gainesville into the house we, we shared with all, um, all the rest? I was like 19. Okay. 20. I feel like around that time you were clean shaven mm-hmm. and you looked a lot like young Neil. <laughs> young Neil. Movie. Oh, I thought young you were going to say Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> nope. No, you do not look like Michael Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you looked like young Neil 
now not at every angle, but like when Young Neil first showed up on camera, I was like, holy <laughs> shit, it's like back in time for James. That's awesome. I feel like you didn't even know me for that long with longer hair too. That's awesome that you remember that. <laughs> yeah, that hairstyle too, right? You had something kind yeah, of similar going similar, on. Similar, yeah, kind of longer, but yeah, that kind of like swooshed over look. <laughs> anyway. That out. That's I told I told I told my wife Annalisa about it, and she she was like, "What are you talking about?" So I, I don't know if anybody else will agree with me or not. That's awesome. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. I mean, so to start out this movie, I I did read a couple of things. So I think the I think it's really cool, sort of like prologue that opens up, right? And we get um, we get the band together, and they're playing music, and then. The, the, that's when like knife chow is like falling in love with the band and everything yeah. and then we get this shot where it like pulls back really far and this room is like super extended and we land on young neil and knives chow looking at the band and yeah. then the, the title sequence the so title cool. comes in and like that's just awesome like that's just yeah. what a cool way to start your movie um and i also read in my research that originally the film only had a title card at the beginning it was quentin tarantino who suggested edgar wright late in the stage of post-production that there should be a pre-title credit scene sequence Otherwise, the remaining ensemble of characters yet to be introduced would have would have been introduced in a much more rapid succession. The audience might have been overwhelmed with the, the, with the introduction of characters and plot. With a pre-title sequence, the audience is given a chance to relax, have a firmer grip on the beginning of the film. Wright considers the, considered this and agreed, liking the idea that the first scene now be a prologue. So, like having the title wow. cards with the names and everything, and the age and like all you know, it's very much akin to the the comic where we mm -hmm. that's how we are introduced to them. Um, but I think that sequence plays out really nicely. Um, and that leads me to my first point with the music in this movie. Like they're they're supposed to suck, but like a lot of the stuff I think is either really funny or really good. Like I just yeah, like, I think it's they, awesome. I feel like the band was way worse in the comics, but I mean, you don't want to make people listen to bad music throughout a whole movie, yeah. especially when you have so many opportunities to have cool scenes with cool music. So you're not yeah. gonna do that. Like Kim, Kim, just the one, two, three, four, it just stays stuck in my head. And then the way that the guitars come in and everything, like, yeah, it makes me think of Scott. We are sex for bomb. She just screams yeah. at the top of her lungs. I love how the, like it always interrupts somebody, uh, yeah. which, uh, it, you know, in the, in the movie, like every time she does it, it cuts somebody off. Uh, so perfect. Um, again, another character who shines in such little time she has, but, totally. um, yeah. you know, I, I really, that she was my favorite character in the comics we talked about in the last episode. Um, mm -hmm. so I was, I, I did appreciate her more in the movie just because we are able to get some of that, but it is kind of a shame how much you have to leave out. So the, with the introduction of like a lot of these characters, uh, a lot of their introductions are fun. I love the way that he plays with like phone conversations and the way that like, um, things play off each other. But, um, the introduction of of ramona and like this party that he's at and the way that, that there are people in the background who who are like really like snobby about like comic books or really snobby about like music that they're listening to mm -hmm. like uh, there's one character at one point who's like who's like their first their first album is really much better than their first album and like all yeah i heard that line and i was like what the yeah. fuck is that talking about but <laughs> stuff like that that yeah. i think is hilarious um i think it's the same yeah. guy i think that one guy is like I yeah forget which what his name is but he's, he's in dropping several. some awesome awesome yeah lines out there we uh, gotta start I, just because the, the cast is incredible um before we get too deep into it let's talk about some of the ones we've met so far um ellen wong as knives chow i i think um i i slept on her performance the first time i saw it i think she does a great job what a sympathetic character such like, such a good job that it actually it really underscores how much I dislike, like viscerally dislike Scott Pilgrim uh, because of the way he treats her. 
Exactly. Um, I didn't like it in the comic either. Don't get me wrong. That was one of the reasons I, I had I really struggled with the early issues of the comic. But uh, it just really drives that home. And it's such a tough place to start a movie with a character that like you're really not going to like. She she is like the most sympathetic character in the movie. Mm-hmm. You feel for her the entire way. She's the the best person in the movie, like the in terms of personality and like yeah. the things that they do, the action. She's so nice, and like everybody treats her so shitty. It feels like, like yeah, you know, like they treat her like she's uncool, it's like and she's innocent, and he, they're all like jaded assholes. Like she genuinely loves their music and stuff. Yeah, and they're like whatever, you know. I don't know. Just it's so just frustrating, yeah. but it is reminiscent of assholes in real life that are just sure. like that kind of people. So let's talk about Michael Sarah a little bit as Scott Pilgrim. What what do you what did you think? So the first time I saw this movie, I didn't I didn't like the casting choice, and um, I think the performance. I the thing that bothered me wasn't the performance. I don't think. I think it was. I think it's just odd casting overall. Um, I like it now. Like I've come around on it, and I think he. I think he has a good performance. Like I think a lot of the things that he was asked to do were difficult, and I think he does them well. But something about, I, I don't know, I see, I, I remember watching Arrested Development as it was coming out. And like, that's like, I that is who I remember Michael Sarah as. And then like seeing him in this, I think immediately after that was tough for me. But, you know, I think, I, like I said, I think I've come around on it at this point, And I actually really, th- I think it's one of his better performances that I've seen. of. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not someone who's seen a lot of Michael Sarah performances. I've, I'm sure I've seen a few others, but um, I think he was cast, de- you know, because he was re- he's really good at certain things, right? Like he's really good at delivering a certain kind of line at being just like a goof, but still likable. Um, and that is like an essential part of Scott Pilgrim. Um but in other ways, it is a really difficult uh, casting for me. Um, and, and I think it, it really suffers in, in the sense that you're lining him up with a collection of women who are in another stratosphere than him. You know, I'm not, you know, not to not to put too fine a point on it, but I think that's not, the point of the story a little bit, though, right? Like a little bit out of but his league. I think I think women who watch this movie are rightfully going to look at it and go like, this guy is getting this reaction from anybody. I, I don't understand what's happening. Um, and, and that really drives home the wish fulfillment part of it too, right? Like, like the idea that he is going to have these women just like all lusting after him is, is so, is so wild. And like the comic book version of the character, you can kind of imprint anybody onto like he can be like, I don't know. Whereas Michael Sarah is Michael Sarah, you know what I mean. So like you 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 have to like ask yourself, can you can you believe it? Can you believe that Mary Elizabeth Winstead, you know Ellen Wong, uh, Brie Larson, you know like uh, all these women are are somehow attracted to and still like almost obsessed with Michael Sarah? It's difficult. It's difficult. It is difficult. <laughs> and I'm, I feel bad because I'm not trying to like cast aspersions on Michael Sarah. Because it's not just Michael Sarah; it's Michael Sarah behaving in the way that Scott Pilgrim behaves. It's yeah. those two things together. You know what I mean? It's 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 not like he's you know winning people over with his charm in this because he's not really that charming in this movie. Yeah, he, he, I don't know. It, it's 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 tough to really talk about because I I, I feel bad because I feel like I'm bad mouthing Michael Sarah, but I'm really not trying to do that. It just feels yeah. like a difficult cast for me. 
And I agree with you. I, I like. I think he plays the awkward moments well. I think he plays a lot of the comedy well. I think he, like I said, I think the performance is difficult to pull off. And I think the the things that he's asked to do are are tough. And he, I think he pulls them off. But like you said, I guess there there is a little unbelievability there. Yeah. Um, but I guess if you're, there are people that are going to be willing to be like, that's part of the story. And there are going to be people who like, you know, I feel like that was part of my initial reaction as well. Right. Is like he just doesn't fit what I feel like the character should be if he's going to be an asshole for a lot of it. And I don't know, but, and like, and like, it's brought, it's brought to everybody's attention that like, she says like, you're the nicest, like uh, Ramona says like, you're the nicest person I've ever dated. And like, he's very, like, he's clearly a departure from the type of guys that he, he she typically likes, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's still kind of tough. To, Is he to though? Jump Cause he's not, he's really not nice. And typically, to get away with some of the shit that he gets away with, you kind of have to be immensely, you know, conventionally attractive, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like those are the guys who get away with doing some of the shit that he does in this movie. Yeah. In my I mean, opinion. all right. T- 10 minutes of Michael Sarah talk is enough. I feel anyway, like we yeah, gotta, yeah, let's move, let's move <laughs> let's on. Let's go to, there's so uh, many other great Kieran Culkin. People. Kieran Culkin, I thought was incredible. Uh, Amazing. Like what a great it. role for him. And, and uh, I, I had no idea that this was someone related to Macaulay Culkin. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, of course, that's why he looks so goddamn familiar and I couldn't place him. He really does. He's in that movie or he's in that show on HBO um, Succession that I haven't uh, watched yet. Haven't and everybody's been telling me is like one of the best shows on TV. So oh, shame cool. on me for not seeing it yet. Yeah. As Wallace, who one of my other favorite characters in the comic. Um, again, his uh, sexuality is not very well handled here. Um, it is again played as a joke pretty much throughout the entire movie. He is like over the top, like promiscuous, like he's sleeping with multiple yeah. guys at the same time. And everything about him is about him being gay. Like he, that's, that's really what it is. Like, I don't care about that. It's fine. But like everything, people's whole identity isn't revolve around their sexuality. That's just one piece of it. Yeah. I just um, kept feeling like, like a lot of the jokes landed as like, uh, he would be like calling people gay and be like, what are you gay? Like, like it, it kept being a joke. Oh yeah. It yeah, was yeah. like, and I was like, I couldn't, I, I just was like, this is not natural. It's not the kind of thing that someone yeah. would say. Like, but anyway. uh, what about Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I am a huge fan of as, as yeah. Ramona Flowers? Here. I mean, to be honest, I, I had a have and had a massive crush on her. Just in, she's she's amazing performer. Yeah. Like I, I like I think I remember the first one of the first things I saw her in was like Sky High. And I remember being like of an age where I was like, she, she I don't know. I just like had a crush on her. And then uh-huh. and then she she was Ramona Flowers in this. And I was like, again, and then. You know, she was in Fargo. She was in Ten Cloverfield Lane. She t- she consistently was oh, yeah, in like fantastic work, mm-hmm. uh, and she's she's great. So I agree, big fan. Like she's perfectly plays the 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 dream girl here. You know, like ex- excellently cast. She really like it, it's like I can't believe how well cast. Like how well she fits Ramona from the comic is kind of incredible. Yeah, yeah and even the moments that like I feel like would be tough to play where she's like playing this like aloof sort of loner it's like it, it, it and specifically for that time it's like it's almost like charming and like uh endearing and you're like i don't know you're drawn to it because of that that all the culture at that time was very much about like i don't know mystery and and like being easily cool you know what i mean like mm. she just is cool yeah and, like and i think that's a lot yeah yeah effortlessly cool yeah i agree all right, Anna Kendrick as Stacy Pilgrim, and this yeah. is like standout. You know, like I, I like the sister character in the comics, but I I thought she really brought something to the role that that yeah. wasn't even there. 
Yeah. And again, Anna Kendrick's amazing. She's yeah. like after after this movie and then she I know she was in Twilight, but then she went on to like completely break out and have her own like amazing mm-hmm. career. And she's also like like this whole cast is insane and this is the kind of stuff that I, you know, I feel like certain filmmakers can like can like see someone and and like just see the charisma that they that they exude and like somehow enhance that and put that mm-hmm. on film and i think like just looking at this cast you're like holy shit like some of these people are like just about to blow up mm-hmm. in their careers aubrey plaza yeah aubrey she plaza was great man like the the, yeah. the cursing with the little black box uh so funny so funny and then i, I loved how uh scott even says like how are you doing that with your mouth you know like calling attention to it which is really mm-hmm. funny again just about to b- blow up i think she may have been in parks and rec at this point but she like look at her career at this point yeah crazy massive Oh, so because we were just talking about Ramona, I want to back up and talk about her a little bit more. Um, and I actually want to introduce, um, we had someone write in, one of our one of our patrons who is at a, a, a tier where they can ask specific questions for us to read. And one of her questions is about Ramona. So I want to go ahead and jump right to that and then we can, we can, uh, we can discuss. So uh, Paula asks, Ramona is often seen as your typical, quote, manic pixie dream girl in that she is spontaneous, alternative, and mysterious woman entering the life of the more, quote, bland male, male character. Do you think this trope holds her holds in her case? Like, is she does she fit this this trope in the movie? In the movie? Uh, yeah, 100%, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, and, you know, not just because she actually shows up in the dream, but um, one, one thing I do, because I, I actually, because I talked about the Manic Pixie trope last week, and, and I kind of fell down a rabbit hole, like, reading about it and watching some videos about it and then thinking about the trope more. And it is, it has become almost like the um, Mary Sue criticism that you see thrown around a lot. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl was originally a trope people identified to point out that, like, a woman in this role... Um, has no has very little agency has very little things that they actually want in their life and it's all it's basically just a, a, a created to serve the male character's growth right and and can often be a very empty performance but what's happened is it's become a like a cudgel that people wield at any time they see a character who's quirky or anytime they see a character who has different hair colors or something like you can have a quirky character who, who isn't a manic pixie dream girl. Um, and it can be a quirky love interest too. Um, so people will level this, uh, accusation at a character like Clementine in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. And I, I don't think it applies at all. Um, and, 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 um, another, the, I can't remember the name of the character, but, um, Zoe Deschanel's character in 500 Days of Summer, for example, often people call a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but she really isn't. Um, and there's a lot of people talking about like why that is. If you really want to do do more research into it, definitely definitely Google it and, and look up some of the some of the stuff you can find out there on like YouTube is excellent. But um, I just wanted to like talk about that trope a little bit in the sense that like it does I think apply here, um, especially because we see Ramona as reduced to an object in a way that is even worse than it was in the in the comic, um, and you could maybe argue that the comic character has some more like personal growth, a character arc, uh, wants and desires that exist outside of Scott Pilgrim, but it's difficult to make that argument for the character that we see in this film. Um, so in that case, I think it does apply here, even though I recognize now that that, uh, that trope is in, in itself has become kind of a thing that is difficult to use because people miss 
characterize characters as that so often. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of always thought that that most of her in this film is to service like she is the prize to be won in terms yeah. of Scott Pilgrim's like perspective. And like, you know, she has her own arc that she goes through. Obviously, we can see the growth in the character and she has agency. She does fight for herself. She does eventually, you know, break A free of bit. Gideon in, in ways. But um, but like uh, just the the way that like it's like I think a Manic Pixie Dream Girl to me is like so, so someone who would typically date the norm of what is expected within society then kind of shifting and being like this is the person who's alternative and they're they're sort of like they lead such an interesting and exotic life in comparison to mine that they're this this like they're different to me and they're, they're like they're what i need right now yeah, and, they're gonna and, bring some color and, and and liveliness to your otherwise boring bland office job and life. i feel like yeah. that is in R- ramona in this story basically but, but that setup i think that's like a cliched setup but the character itself could be done well and could still be a person who has their own desires and their own agency within the story because that's kind of what 500 days of summer is about honestly um yeah. is about the expectation of one character thinks he's getting one thing and then she you know something you have you seen that movie yes okay yeah that's my memory of it at least but um or or clementine and in, in eternal sunshine is you know again like almost playing against that trope um but here we don't see it really played against and in fact Gideon, the Gideon stuff at the end, I thought was some of the worst and it was some of the biggest changes too was um, Ramona uh, is is almost like magnetically drawn to him. She she literally leaves Scott for him. And then we see her like sitting at his feet in a in a it now it does come out of the comic, but in the comic it was only in her like subconscious. It wasn't happening yeah. in real life. Yeah. Um, and I know these things blend, but uh, it is important to note, for those of you who haven't read the comic, that Ramona leaves Scott and he thinks she's gone to Gideon, but he goes and finds out she's not actually with Gideon, and he like pulls her through subspace to, to be there, and she says that she's been with like her parents or something for a month, like finding herself. Yeah. Like she, she yeah. didn't go back to Gideon at all. That's di- like directly changed. She can't control herself around Gideon. And he, in fact, he has like a chip in her head, and she like just goes to him in in the film in a way that felt like a complete betrayal of her character. It stripped her of all agency. It said that her, like her romantic life was completely at the whim of the male characters, including Gideon including Scott. Um, And it it frustrated me. That was like one of the changes that frustrated me the most. Yeah. I mean the, the ending honestly, and like, it's not to take away from any of the filmmaking techniques or anything, any of the choreography nearing the ending, but like the third act of this movie is kind of the least interesting part to me. And like some of that plays into that. Like definitely it does. It feels really dirty. It feels really icky that like, it's just like, I don't know, it's ownership to the max. Like this, Mm -hmm. this is already a story that sort of plays with that. But then like, it's like, yeah full-on like servitude almost like mm-hmm. it, like it, yeah and it's gross so we'll, we'll get to that scene here in a little bit let's let's read some more synopsis uh, okay. and move along here scott finally breaks up with knives who blames ramona and swears to win him back meanwhile scott proceeds to get attacked by and defeats the next three of ramona's exes hollywood actor and skateboarder lucas lee superpowered vegan todd ingram and lesbian ninja roxy richter while also confronting his own ex, pop star Envy Adams. However, however, Scott 
grows frustrated during the process and after an outburst regarding Ramona's dating history, she breaks up with him. Yeah, uh, we got to move through each one of those. Uh, first off, Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what a fucking unbelievable performance, right? Like, well, it, and and amazing to think about where he is now. Yeah. Versus this was probably what like Fantastic Four days, I, I assume. No, did, I mean this was this was right before Captain America. Right before. Right before. Okay, so yeah. he's about to just take off, you know, in the Marvel stratosphere. Um, same with Brie Larson, obviously that we you know see later. It's like all of these characters or all these actors are now in Marvel movies and, and just you know some of the biggest A listers in the world. Well, like Brie Larson, will get to for sure. But, yeah. um, but like she, she's an she won an Oscar. Like she, yeah. she then she became Captain Marvel and some That's other true. stuff. So like she, she's had an amazing career beyond this. And I love Edgar stays really tight with a lot of these people that he's worked with. And I love like when she won the Oscar. I can remember. And by the way, follow Edgar right on Twitter. He's a great follow. Um, just in general, he's just a fascinating person and super cool. Again, great taste mm-hmm. uh, in just in life. Uh, <laughs> and, and you and you love him. You're in love with him. And I love him. Yeah. So <laughs> he he. I remember when she won, him being like, "Oh my god, Envy Adams won an Oscar and did it all this stuff," and just being like really excited about you know the ways that he was able to at least like you know interact with her in life. And that's I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, cool. So, uh, but but Chris Evans here uh, is playing like he's playing a role that honestly, I, I mean, I guess he could still do it because like you look at the, his character in Knives Out and he plays a kind of a really douchey character, yeah. so he can still do it. But like this is so diametrically opposed to what he becomes with Captain America. It's really funny to see. A hundred percent, yeah, and and like the like the actor thing that's happening within all of these scenes and the way that they're on a set and like i just love all the, the stunt stuff. The, the stunt, stunt fighters the stunt double yeah. showing up was hilarious yeah loved all it. of that stuff is really funny specifically like when a filmmaker does something like film related in their movie it always tends to be really funny with inside stuff yeah uh it works it works better than it did in the comic i'll, I'll definitely give it the shout out here like this this was an improvement like this was great yeah I mean, Chris Evans just kills it. Like, like yeah. you said, the the character in Knives Out eventually becomes like an asshole as well. But this guy's like the ultimate asshole. Yeah. He's just like nothing but like a I don't know a tool. Like he's just yeah. a big tool. Yeah, it's the worst, but it's so funny. It really is. Uh, and even funnier now than it may than it would have been at the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and like Captain America. I've talked a few times about Captain America, but like, yeah, Snowpiercer. We talk about Chris Evans yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Cap- Captain America is great. That's that's my short short way of talking about that. And then uh, then we get to super powered vegan Todd Ingram with yeah. Envy Adams and all the stuff that happens with that. Yeah, and you know who shows up to arrest him? Miller from the fucking Expanse. <laughs> what? Well, you mean the Punisher, right? The Punisher. The Punisher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Thomas Jane. Well, I I just couldn't believe the like familiar faces I was seeing. The guy he's with, I don't know, I don't know the name of the actor, but he was in the stand he- recently that we saw. He was, yeah. He's been in a lot of like he he's one of those actors. The familiar faces in this movie is astounding. Yeah, character actors. Yeah, Um, the the vegan stuff we talked about a lot last week, and and I I don't want to rehash it all here, but it's definitely kind of it's just like there are some holier than thou vegans, I'm sure, but uh, the way that it's veganism is just completely played as like a farce and a laugh is not necessarily great, but yeah, I don't know. 
it's funny, but at the same time, it's completely like a stereotype. And like yeah. veganism is to be seen as something, you know, like like if everyone was a little bit more vegan and everyone went, yeah, you know, more vegan, it would be a good thing for us in general. So like, <laughs> good, it's not great really something thing to be for the made. World, that's true. It's not a, a great thing to like super make fun of, but like you know, I understand yeah. like playing off the the existing stereotype to an extent. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so how about the stuff with Envy Adams and everything? Um, she's great. I mean, Real Larson's great, and um, yeah. that song that she sings is the one. That's the song that really yeah. sticks she in is, my brain. Did she actually it. sing that? I didn't think so. Right? Like that's that's a different band they brought in. I actually don't know. I know there were a lot of musicians that came on board. I know, like yeah. uh, Edgar. I, th- I, like, I don't think that's actually her, but I guess I yeah. can't swear to it. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I, she's she's uh someone who we should talk about a little bit because I feel like she gets a lot of hate online um a lot of people yeah. really don't like her well and it's bullshit it, it's a all, lot of like, it's bullshit yeah. a lot of it leads back to the captain marvel stuff and yeah. people are I, I think a lot of like these the outspoken like vocal minority that of of like comic book readers and stuff that that like see a character or any i don't even want to give it to comic book readers really even because like comic book readers know who captain marvel is and understand yeah. captain marvel within the universe like it's it's like the i don't know who it is really but it's these assholes that exist out there they're yeah. so they're 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 whether it, i don't know what it is they're so hateful or their masculinity is so fragile that seeing a powerful female character and a woman who has agency in her life and a woman who's successful and yeah. like great at her craft and all of these things are so intimidating that they feel like they have to cut her down every step of the way. And I think that's really what it is. Like it's, it's the combination, right? It's you, you have a, a powerful character, but then you have a person who is unapologetic, isn't looking for like male approval, you know, doesn't give a fuck about it. And, you know, it's like, you know, openly feminist and, and all these things. And then you have them come in and play a powerful character who kicks the ass of a bunch of like, you know, male, male stars. Um, and that's just like the perfect storm for these kinds of people to get incredibly mad about. Um, and yeah. it's a shame, you know, she doesn't it's deserve it. It's super dumb. Um, and what a dumb thing to like focus your time on. Like, yeah. And, and people say that she's not likable in real life and all this shit. And it's like, it's so fucking what? Like, I, like, I, like it's, it's a standard that is not ever applied to men. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's complete horseshit. And, um, she's awesome in this movie and she's been awesome in everything I've seen her in. Yeah. She's amazing. Uh, the scenes that they have together are great. I felt like you know we didn't get the full in depth arc of Envy like we had in the comic, but it was still nice to to see like if you know that information. That's another thing I wanted to say is that like Edgar was also making for this for the people who were the fans of the comics. Like, yeah, there's a lot that's threaded in that you're not gonna pick up on unless you've read the comic. I missed I missed the sixth issue Envy Adam stuff though. You know there was a yeah. lot that went down with her that is just omitted from the film. For sure, yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, it was and, it was cool, you know. And, and uh, she's she's a very interesting character, and and uh, he does a, he does a good job with with the stuff that lines up with the earlier issues of Amy Adams. Yeah, I guess on that note, I do want to say that like, um, you know, this is a genre film, and typically like that's like genre, pe- people are interested in going to see genre films in general. But I think something notable about this story, and then honestly, a lot of Edgar Wright's work is like the way that he finds moments to to give depth to these characters um, in ways like quiet moments, um, small mannerisms, small, like the things that he does to like build a character um, in a, such an efficient way. Like, I feel like, of course I missed some of the stuff that we got that was like directly backstory of envy, but I, we still understood the character and I think we, st- she still had depth. 
Um, but specifically what I'm talking about is like there are there are moments of like the conversation between like Scott and and his sister on the swings, I thought was like one of the best scenes in the movie because it is that it's like to in order to see Scott's arc, that scene is so pivotal mm. and it plays out so well and it is still funny and it is heart. It's like heartwarming and it is the it's got the emotion built in there as well, which like I think that's like a scene to be proud of in terms of like um having more than just the genre elements that I think people get caught up in with this movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being a little frustrated because it felt like they had taken Kim's scene <laughs> from the comics and given it to the sister. It, it, the, the scenes play out differently though. Yeah. You know, so there is a bit of that really going true. on too, though. Like yeah. certain characters will say lines that other characters did in the yeah. comic. Um, some things were shifted like that. How about Roxy Richter and all the stuff that goes on? Yeah. With... I, I've seen it called biphobic and I, that was a word I wasn't pulling, but like it, it absolutely is because and this is something that happens throughout and and I think that that really puts encapsulate like encapsulates what I was having a a problem with in the comics and it was there were these moments of like bisexuality with especially the women characters and it was never seen as like a serious thing it was always seen as like frivolous or a joke or something that isn't actually a threat uh to Scott who's you know hoping to get these women um and it was never pursued seriously. And then the one character we get who is a lesbian is, you know, it's again, it's played for laughs. They're kind of ridiculous. The way that she's bested with the touch in the back of the leg and stuff. It was just, it's really cringy. And um, yeah, I think you, you picked, you picked up on this in the comics, uh, you know, Ramona telling her it was only a phase and stuff like that. It's just, it's hurtful, honestly. And, and it, and it kind of erases the idea that someone could be bisexual and date a man like that's fine she doesn't yeah. have to say that that was not it's not something that was real for her yeah and i do have um this leads me to another point that i had um because the exes are so over the top and dramatized it doesn't help that like matthew patel is one of the only people of color that we see in the movie and then it's like over dramatized and then there's like a bollywood dancing fight scene that yeah. seems offensive in ways and then there's like yeah because uh, i know it's from like, the comic but yeah something about the way it's presented does feel it does feel off yeah and, and it kept happening with the characters right like like with her being bisexual or yeah with with this character either being a lesbian or bisexual um it felt like it like there was like all these like bi curious like wordplay jokes and like mm -hmm. like uh, it, it feels like I, I know that they're trying to go to 11 and it's all jokes and everything like that. But like because these characters are like not represented very often when now that they are in this movie, they're like the way over the top extreme versions of anything you could. you could, and, and yeah, a lot of it's just played for laughs. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think I give equal blame to, to the comic and the movie in this situation yeah. just because like a lot of it is pulled from the comic. That's true. But uh it, it yeah like we said before this movie is definitely not perfect the story's not perfect and there are things in it that are just like i don't know very much a, a white uh a white specifically male perspective film and like anything that's not that i could totally see people being turned off and be like yeah. what the fuck are they doing to you know what i identify with yeah i mean and, and you pointed it out and i think it is worth saying that there's not a single black person in this movie that i can remember uh, not that i can remember either yeah, yeah. <laughs> that does seem like a you know a bit of a problem but anyway uh yeah what's what's next we get you get some more summary 
At the next Battle of the Band, Sex Babam defeats Ramona's fifth and sixth evil exes, Kyle and Ken Katanayagi, earning Scott an extra life. Despite this, Ramona appears to get back with her e with her seventh evil ex, Gideon. Sex Babam accepts Gideon's record deal, ex except for Scott, who quits the band in protest. Gideon invites Scott to his venue, the Chaos Theater, where Sex Babam is playing. Resolving to win Ramona back, Scott challenges Gideon to a fight for her affection, earning the Power of Love sword. Knives interrupts the battle, attacking Ramona, and Scott is forced to reveal that he cheated on both of them. Gideon kills Scott, and Ramona visits him in limbo to reveal that Gideon has implanted her with a mind control device. Scott uses his one-up and re-enters the Chaos Theater. He makes peace with his friends and challenges Gideon again, this time for himself, gaining the power of self-respect sword. After apologizing to Ramona and Knives for cheating on them, and accepting his own faults, Scott and Knives join forces to defeat Gideon. Free from Gideon's control, Ramona prepares to leave. Knives accepts that her relationship with Scott is over, and at her encouragement, he leaves with Ramona to try again. Yeah, weakest part of the movie, in my opinion. And um, uh, one, another change I have to point out, the, the sort of uh, self-respect uh, does not work nearly as well as the sort of understanding that he gets. I don't understand book. that change. Yeah, why not? The I, I don't sort think of it probably didn't exist yet. You know what I mean? Um, again, yeah. this is something that was being written simultaneously. Um, yeah, maybe but right. but the self respect just didn't make sense to me. Like that wasn't his problem. You know, like well, it was like he he was like yeah yeah. Was, I mean, in terms of like the actual weapon, like he's like I'm doing it for me, not for anyone else, which is like a healthy thing to do, and it is like you know taking responsibility for yourself. Yeah. Um. So I guess I can understand self respect in that in that sense, but like that's not his character. But that's not his character's arc that he's going on, right? It's not that he doesn't have self respect. Yeah. But it, so so in the in the comic. It, it's that he understands what he's done and exactly. the mistakes that he's made. Right. And we don't get that. It's here. not about himself. It's about everyone else. It's a, you know what I mean? It should be about him understanding everything else that he's done, but it's instead in the movie, it's like directly yeah. like, he's like, I'm doing this for me instead of like, I understand how I have contributed to all the problems that I have. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. You know, anyway, it's a small distinction, but it doesn't. Yeah. Let's jump back. Go ahead. Let's jump back. So Sex Bomb defeats Ramona's fifth and sixth evil exes at the Battle of the Bands. I wasn't a big fan of this scene. Um, it, it, like I see what he was going for, but this is one of the t one of like really two times in this section where I felt like um, Edgar Wright was trying to like push the envelope of what he could get away with, and 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 I I think he's still like figuring it out because like, early in his career of like what can I what can I really pull over on the audience and have them still follow me, and the big dragons versus the big ape and the you know what I mean like it just didn't quite work for me it and it goes on a little bit too long and I, it was one of the few times where i felt like maybe this is a little too much style and we needed to yeah. dial it back a hair yeah i can understand that i think ultimately i do enjoy it i do think that there's not these characters are like these characters that he's fighting there's no motivation there's nothing oh, like yeah. there's get, they're, like, they're literally nothing. just cardboard yeah characters that he's fighting because they're enemies that he has to fight so like a lot of it isn't motivated and that feels like a bummer because like you know why are we invested in this fight really yeah um they don't get any backstory i don't think right like all the other exes get backstory but not them i did read that some of that had to be cut for time and some mm -hmm. other stuff like that that, that like sense. those were the sacrifices that were made were like these characters here um and maybe he thought yeah like you said in this in this case like substance and style here 
overcomes maybe having to tell a story with what's going on with these characters. But, you know, ultimately, like, I respect the fact that, like, he really wanted to make a lot of these fight scenes interesting and he went with something weird here. Uh, I don't I agree. Like, I kind of do think, like, from here to the end of the movie, it it sort of like spins its wheels. It doesn't know exactly specifically how to how to land some of these beats. And um, and honestly, maybe that has something to do with the fact that like it was unwritten and Edgar yeah. was having to write it himself and it's not his story that he was telling all the way through. Yeah. Part, um, so that could be part of it for sure. So, yeah, let's talk about Gideon. He, he again, is kind of weak for me. Um, he, he's not much better in the comic, um, but he, he kind of shows up out of nowhere and to be the big bad and he behaves in ways that are very like mustache twirly villain which is okay it's just not super interesting i don't know like there was a potential here to have the final x be more of a human being um and like what would that have created you know i i don't know i'm just spitballing here but like he doesn't go that route in either version and uh, yeah. Gideon is just garbage, right? Like he's the worst person yeah. you, you meet. I'll give Jason Schwartzman the benefit of the doubt. Like I, I love Jason Schwartzman. Like I love him yeah. and everything he's performance done was, for the most part. That the I've performance seen. was was good. You know, it's just, yeah. you know, the character. But overall, not a ton to do here. Kind of the big bad and like, yeah, I, I felt, I think we felt the same way in the comic too, right? Like it just like mm-hmm. ultimately didn't live up to the the sort of what we would have liked to have seen from a final boss, final situation. Yeah. Um, stylish and, you know, some interesting cool visuals and some stuff going on there but ultimately like it didn't it wasn't like the knockout that it could have been the home run that it could have been so Uh, in in the final fight versus gideon um scott dies and then he and he comes back um we see knives come in and fight on his side which was a change um i thought it was it was kind of fun but it did kind of steal thunder a little bit from um ramona who is the one who fights by scott's side throughout the end of the of the comic and you know she does a little bit of fighting don't get me wrong but um it's partially against knives and and i don't know it gets a little messy and again it it shows just how much they undercut any sort of agency she might have had by the end here and i know it feels like we're using a buzzword and and, and saying agency over and over again but truly we when we say that we're talking about a character having the impetus and the ability to move the plot to serve their own desires and um the way that people in real life are able to affect the outcome of things because they have goals and they pursue them um and the characters who are able to do that are said to have agency in a story and ramona has none really here at the end yeah part of me felt like i liked seeing knives have more to do yeah i liked i liked that knives sort of in this way was so I don't know. So there's two things that we're going to have to talk about here. So one of them is there are multiple endings yeah. that we'll, we'll get to. And like having having knives be a part of the ending in in this significant of a way, I think leans heavily on one ending and doesn't make as much sense with the ending that we mm, ultimately get. Like maybe there was um, a leftover. Yeah. And again, I, I do like I just think that like having them dance, which is a callback to them dating and the dance in the the ninja game that they were playing together uh scott and him and her i think that that is like directly leading to like their relationship and i get that it's some sort of closure that's happening potentially with the ending that we get but um it it did feel like it's a moment for ramona and and he to 
come together and win together. And I do like Knives saying, "I'm I'm too cool for you." I think that was in the comic too. Um, there are certain things that that it was it was good. And um, I, one of the other things I was getting around to talking about with the ending was this is another moment where I felt like it just needed like to take just a, a hair of the foot off the gas with this final fight in the um the all the like special effects like flashing video game comic referencing book, comic, comic book, bookiness yeah, stuff like swooshy it yeah. was it got to be so much at times that like i could I, I felt disconnected completely from what was happening on screen yeah um yeah. And, and and unfortunately when you're in the climax of your film like you need to care about what's happening um and, and i felt like i was disconnecting from it because of it and, and i'm sure that you know taste will vary on that but for me it felt like this is a this is one of the one of maybe a couple times in this film where yeah. edgar wright was gonna be going a bit too heavy on it yeah and honestly to talk about that a little bit it's like the want to have everything happen in camera and then be augmented is clearly seen i think in a lot of these shots and a lot of the things that happen here um, and some of it works and some of it doesn't. There are moments when people are like take damage and they're like blinking red. And, you know, I don't know that that worked so extremely well. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks it kind of hurts your eyes to look at it yeah. in some ways. And then like there are it moments was, he like, was when going for broke on this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he went so hard. They on went it. Yeah. super video gamey. And yeah. like I respect it. I think it's great. But uh, ultimately, like I can totally understand. I think it still works for me, but I understand if people are like, yeah, it totally doesn't work. Yeah. And I do, again, say that like the third act here, it's a it's a culmination of a lot of things. And this is part of the reason why I feel like it is. it's not quite as it's not quite the home run that i wish that it was you know i think the last the the last bit and i know we've been very critical but like i hope listener that you get that both james and i obviously had a great time and like the the style on display is fun and we're kind of nitpicking but you know you you can still say that something is fun and and interesting yet it can kind of undercut you know the drama of the final scene and i know this isn't like the crazy most dramatic movie ever but you still need to have that like the audience needs to feel invested in what's happening and 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 in my opinion it it just kind of distances itself a little bit but you you referenced you referenced two endings uh earlier and and i want we have a question about that that i want to read we can talk about but um we are going to at the end of this cast a vote on whether or not the comics or the film was better so I want you to start thinking about that because I know sometimes I don't want to blindside you with it. Okay, so uh, Paula uh, asks, what do you think about the changed ending? I remember the first time I watched the movie, there was one ending, and then the second time they had released a new cut and the ending was different. It concerns who the main character ends up with. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Well, we already have. <laughs> um, I can imagine that people were not happy with the first ending and were rooting for the second type of ending. So... Uh, you sent me, they, apparently they have the, the original ending as a deleted scene that you can just watch on YouTube you sent it to me and we both watched it before we got on here. I had not never seen that original ending. I couldn't remember if I had, but watching what you sent me, I was like, nope, this is not familiar. (laughs) Um, had you ever seen it before when you watched it? I think I had because I own the Blu-ray and I watch. I like to, you know, go into bonus features okay. and stuff. But do you remember if like if that was the ending you saw it? No, origi- no. Okay, so it sounds like Paula did. So. Like she actually saw the original ending, which is, yeah. Like I, you want to describe what actually happens in the in the deleted ending, the the original ending. So I guess for for clarity's sake, we kind of talked about the ending, but basically. Uh, the in the in the, the one that we watched the actual theatrical version that yeah. is the finalized version now. Um, Scott. Now, yeah. 
Scott comes out after you know having a conversation with Nega Scott. Oh yeah, yeah. Then... Nega Scott. Who, but just real quickly, um, I don't like that it was sort of reduced to just a pure joke. Uh, in in this yeah. version, like he again, it shows no self growth. He instead he just kind of embraces the like shitty parts of himself and is like, ah, oh, cool guy, yeah, I love true. him. Honestly, didn't think of it that way. I kind of thought of it as like he bested it by 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 being like friends with it and realizing like he should be better than that. I don't know. Uh, interesting. But, but no, I, do... see, I, I read it more as just like, oh yeah, love this, love this shitty version of myself. Where he's a cool guy. We're gonna have tea later or whatever he says. Uh, so anyway, they, he comes out and they knives and uh, Ramona are there, mm-hmm. and I think in the the version that we get, he has a conversation with knives. He comes out, they have a nice interaction, and then she tells him that he she's goes up cool to Ramona. <laughs> he goes up to Ramona yeah. and then basically is like, you know, this is goodbye. Uh, and then she and then like she or she says this is goodbye and she walks away. And then he talks again with with knives, and then she's like, "What are you doing? Go get her." Yeah. Scott runs after Ramona and then they end up together and Scott and Ramona end up together. They go, they go through the door much like the end of the comic. And, and uh, it's important. I think knives like they, they really do have like a a nice moment where they have a, a they reconcile over what happened. And I think Scott somewhat appreciates that he was shitty to her and she's able to tell him like, it's okay. I'm over it. You know, go, you know, go do your thing. And um, it leads to that final moment where he, he gets yeah. with Ramona, which, you know, that lines up with the comic. And, and, and that way it lines up with the comic that they end up together. And then the yeah. original version. Alternate. <laughs> the alternate version, what, what we consider the alternate version now. Uh, Scott comes out, has a conversation with Knives, goes up to similar conversation with Knives, walks up to Ramona and says, you know, this is goodbye. They both say their goodbyes. They part ways and they're walking away. It's sort of like a bittersweet, like, you know, they, they love each other, but they're parting ways because they feel like it's better for them to be individuals and understand yeah. themselves as individuals. And then Scott walks back and then is and then ends up with knives. They puts his arm around her and they walk off. Now, just just as the right away reaction from me, I hated the idea of knives ending up with him because he was terrible to knives. Yep. The entire time. And there's no redeeming that relationship for me. Yep. I completely agree. Um, I, the only thing I can see is that Edgar Wright was trying to subvert expectations with Ramona. It was more about Ramona, I think. And it was about like, she has been stripped of all agency, like we talked about. And this is a moment for her to like, go find herself and to not end up with anybody. I actually do think I like that for her character. Yeah, I, but... I, I can see the, I can see why you would go that route. Um, but ultimately like this whole movie is and this whole story is this romance between the two of them and, um, to, to undercut that at the end is it. So I know a lot of romance writers who talk about this and they write the romance genre and this is a massive genre. It's makes up for like half of all book sales is romance. Right. And one of the things that they, they will talk about is how there are certain rules that romance readers are like are non-negotiable, and one of them, um, and it depends on like the subgenre sometimes. But one of one of the major ones is happily ever afters. It has to happen, and if you do not deliver the happily ever after at the end of your book, um, people will review bomb you. Will never read another thing you do. It, it, it's bad. Don't do it. There's a certain contract that certain genres have. Um, and I'm not saying this is a romance um, in the same way, but it kind of is. And 
there's a there, we've built up this contract watching the movie to where it feels like we've been completely misled if they don't wind up together. It just does. Yeah. Um, and, and I understand that as well. Like that, that makes a lot of sense to me. But part of me also likes Ramona. Part of me also likes both characters. It's real, right? It's yeah. more real. So it's like, it's again, like, I can see why you would think it might be a good yeah. idea. But it's it to have to have both characters like individually say like we're both pieces of shit. We were you know we love each other, but we're like well, it's better if we sort of Ramona has some problems. I wouldn't call her that, but like I'm Scott, absolutely. Ramona was just like actually you're a piece of shit. I'm out of here. <laughs> I, that would be understandable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I just mean like both people understand like that they're like not ready whether they're ready to be in a relationship together or not or if it's not going to work out but to be big enough to say like this was fun what we had but let's part ways and like go on with our lives and you know we'll find people eventually that kind of thing it's a pretty real thing to that to happen and like i understand that 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 sort of ending as well but again hated it for knives so it kind of negates it all for me yeah also i mean she's 17 she doesn't turn 18 in the movie which is a thing that happens in the comic but i don't know that really makes it much better so it's still also that it's inappropriate. Um, I think Scott in the film is 22. Um, and then the idea that they're going to wind up together still, it's like that, that problem still exists. It's still creepy. And, and I don't know, it's just, it leans into that and they try and make it touching. If you watch the deleted scene, um, but it didn't, it didn't really work for me. And it's tough too. Cause I, lo- I really love nice as a character and I want her to be yeah. happy, but I don't think her, she needs to be happy without Scott. <laughs> I think she's happier without Scott in the long absolutely. run. Honestly. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Cause like, I, I mean like he's going to, he's going to feel this way until the next like, you know, girl comes through his dream and he's going to do the same shit. Like I, I didn't get the, yeah. I didn't get the impression this version of Scott had really learned a lot. Whereas at least in the comic, I felt like he had learned something. This version of Scott, but he has the power. What are you talking about? He has the power of self-respect. How does that not, how does that not clearly say that he has growth? Yeah. You know? I don't know, man. Uh, yeah. it, I don't know. It's just just differences, and it, it's really interesting that they released the film with this version of the ending, and then and then later changed it after it, 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 there was an uproar. <laughs> it could have been a situation where Edgar it was like a deal breaker for him or something, and he was like, "I'm standing my ground on this kind of scene," and then and then ultimately it just didn't play out how he thought it would or whatever. I know? don't know. Yeah, some of this stuff is tough. You know, I think we're ready to 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 take our vote, right? To to decide. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Do you want to go first? I'll, you go first. I know what I want. I, I've already chosen it in okay. my mind, so go All for right, it. All right, fair enough. Uh, I, you know, I really enjoyed the comics. Um, I, you know, I went on a real journey with them, um, you know, going from dislike to, to, to like into, into, I would dare say almost love. Not not love, but almost <laughs> love. I, I really enjoyed them by the end. I was having a great time. Um, this movie was like kind of that too, but throughout in that there was things I absolutely adored and things that I really didn't like. Um so stylish so fun love edgar wright um i want to give it to the movie but i can't um in this in this situation i'm gonna have to be that like classic comic book guy and say that you know i think the comics are better um it it just i just kind of do like i think the ending was better and i really give a lot of points to a good ending um but you know I, i i can't fault anyone who just loves this movie uh, for the for the you know innovation that it is um and i do too but i just yeah if i had to pick one i'm gonna give it to the comics it was honestly closer than i thought it would be for me because it's an edgar wright film and but i really enjoyed the comics like i i you know i had a great time reading the comics 
like you said, I think I did go on a journey. And by the end, we've talked about, we thought like Brian Lee O'Malley, as much as like maybe the ending didn't like perfectly land in every way, Mm -hmm. he did get better as time went on. Like there's something about the story, the way that he was telling the story and some of the best art in in his comics were, were nearing the end. So I thought a lot of that stuff was great. In terms of being a biased film guy, uh i'm gonna have to take the the movie in this case because it is so stylized it is it's a it's a movie unlike any you've seen it's it's at least very few that you've seen it's hard for me to put into words but basically like having um the specific elements that edgar wright you know he's pulling from film history he's pulling from gritty like indie films he's pulling from massive blockbuster films he's doing all of these things he's juggling all these different types of works and then somehow creating something that's like wholly his own and then and have it still be so well so well thought out in terms of like what is interesting to an audience member specifically what is interesting to someone who cares about these properties like things that are like uh to write a letter to nintendo who are who are historically historically extremely uh you know, close to the chest with the things that they'll allow people to use. They'll pull YouTube videos off if you have streams sometimes of Nintendo games, at least a while back they were doing that. Um, And for him to like reach out and be able and able to get a song from the Legend of Zelda, um, you know, and I think that's like one very small example, but like all of these things build up and like having put getting a cast together that's this significant Incredible. and getting all these people on board and bill pope we didn't even talk about but the director of photography uh is is incredible and he's worked with uh, edgar on a lot of his films uh the look of the film it's just like it, the way that they do a lot of things in camera we talked about whether it works perfectly or not there's sort of like a you know a young filmmaker and I'm not even saying young in terms of Edgar Wright within his career at this point, but young filmmaker still playing with the form, still being like, we're going to do all of this because it's way more fun to do it in camera and way more fun to do it practically. And it's hearkening back to, I was listening to an interview of him. He watched Evil Dead and he saw Sam Raimi at 18 years old create something in, in the woods with his friends and stuff. And like Crazy. that sort of filmmaking being being brought along with Edgar Wright and Edgar Wright meaning what he means to me now and seeing like he made films extremely young. The one that I talked about in 1995, uh, A Fistful of Fingers, he was very, very young when he directed that and he entered it into film festivals and all of that stuff. And, and, and it's got a cult following now. And you can see already the DNA of what he would create. So uh, I'm just like, it's it's partially the filmmaker and I am biased and, and I don't necessarily think that the movie is like better. I think they're about the same as the comic and, and the movie, but in terms of like what the significance of a movie like this is, when it's playing with the form, when it's doing things that only movies can do, uh, I have to give it to the movie. Completely understand. Uh, in fact, I feel like that's only appropriate for this project um split decision which i you know I, I thought we would have more of those than i feel like historically we've actually had um but you know i think it's always nice when we have that personally if you enjoyed this please let us know in the form of a rating and review we haven't gotten any reviews on itunes apple Podcasts in a while and it's starting to give me anxiety so help me out <laughs> give me a review on there man let me know that you guys are still listening on apple and make sure to connect with us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram all of those at Ink to Film. And we have a Council of Inklings on Facebook where we post all kinds of stuff, movie news, everything else that's coming out. So go check those out. 
yeah and if you want to become a patron and vote on our upcoming projects yourself go to patreon.com slash ink to film and see all the different things we have on there we just watch uh the exorcist 2 the heretic and god was it painful um and you can hear our let's talk about Let's talk about films and what films can be and compare <laughs> The Exorcist to, to, to Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah, uh, definitely check that out if you're a patron. And if you're not a patron, uh, con- consider signing up because I thought it was a lot of uh, a lot of pain, but a lot of fun. And thank you to Techno Axe for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, and we will be back next week with a project. I've already started reading a little bit, and I can just say that this is about as far from a Scott Pilgrim style story as you can get so something completely different with gillian flynn uh next week with gone girl and until next time thanks for listening